0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. will get the ball to McClendon. He oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Snap, spot, kick away, high enough, long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42 yard field goal by freshman Potter Good gosh, nerdy! This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. What's going on, guys? It's another live edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast here. On a Thursday night, a dead sports night, really, uh, going on around the country. And so I figured, why not get on here and talk a little bit of Tar Heel football for you guys. I know it is the offseason, but there is plenty of stuff to talk about. uh, And and especially in this modern era of college football. And we're seeing it on the Tar Heel side of things. Plenty of things that we're going to touch on here on this edition of the show tonight. Of course, got to talk to you guys about what we heard from the coordinators, as well as head coach Mac Brown, uh, he spoke to the media, and they did as well. On Tuesday, you heard from Mac, new defensive coordinator Jeff Collins, and new defensive line coach Ted Monachino. So we'll talk all about that. We, of course, have uh, the addition of some guys to Carolina's offensive line, one uh, D3 uh, offensive lineman that I don't know if we really know a whole lot about him. Uh, Went in, looked a little bit, and uh, look, this is one of those ones that we're going to have to really talk through here. So I'll I'll talk a little bit about that, what I think overall the pickup, uh, an even bigger pickup though, one for the future, now Carolina, long way to go, but they do pick up a commitment in the 2025 class along the offensive line. That's one that if Carolina can hold it, it would be huge. So I'm going to break down all of that stuff for you here tonight. Uh, we do have the final list of Tar heels that will be going and attempting to uh, make the NFL. A lot of guys that are graduates, uh, but this is probably the most extensive list that we've seen of guys actually making it public that they are making pushes to make it to the next level. So we'll tell you all 11 guys that are going to be attempting to make it uh, to the NFL attempt to get drafted in April. So plenty of stuff. Uh, for you guys tonight I want to hear your comments Uh, as always um, Chris uh, Chris Bivens the guy uh, who who has supported us I know some of you guys probably watching uh, UNC women's basketball on the ACC network so uh, if you guys are tuning in we really do appreciate you guys for stopping by with us Uh, and hopefully uh, the Lady Tar can find a way to pull out a victory in that one but let's talk about the guys on the football field let's talk about a group that hopefully will be, you know, a little inspiring for this upcoming season. And that is a new staff, two guys in particular that were introduced officially uh, earlier this week. And look, Ted Monachino was a guy that was around the program, never really heard him speak to the media, never got the chance really to uh, last year. I don't, I don't think it's hard to remember. Maybe he did speak to the media, maybe him and Clyde Christensen did. Um, But if they did, uh, it was really just them talking about their advisor roles this year, completely different for Ted Monachino, a guy. That's now going to be involved in what Carolina is doing on the defensive line. He's actually going to be able to coach these guys instead of just being a guy that can throw out some suggestions to the other coaches. Uh, so this is, this is going to be pretty significant for Carolina. And at the time of the hire, Uh, You know, it was one that I I liked for some reasons. There's other reasons that I was a little bit concerned about it. Um, You know, I think the main reason that you're probably a little bit concerned is that Ted Monachino has not recruited since the mid-2000s. It's been a very long time, a guy that was in the NFL. Um, But, you know, he's a guy that I I do think uh, is going to be able to coach this group upright, is going to be able to give them the things that you want Carolina to be able to do up front. We talked about development, what Carolina's got to be able to do to have a defensive front uh, that can really get after the quarterback and really utilize the talent that they have in that room. Jeff Collins, the defensive coordinator, who I'll talk a little bit more about here in a minute, really stressed, and Ted Monachino did the same thing, that this defensive line room has the talent. It's there, it's in that room. And I've been saying it on this podcast. I know Josh has sort of pushed back a little bit on that. He said maybe some of the talent in that room isn't as good as we thought it was. And look, there certainly are guys that I think were probably a little bit overrated coming out of high school. There were certainly guys that I went and saw in person that you know I looked at their star rating and I said to myself, I don't really know from watching them play. And granted, it was only one, two games at the max, but from watching them play, I said to myself, I don't really know if these guys are the, the as highly rated should be as highly rated as they are currently by these sites. Now, to that extent, there are some guys that I went and saw that I thought, okay, probably going to be tough for Carolina to use them as contributors. Um, and they ended up turning out to be really productive members of this team. There's also guys that I went and saw that I really liked um, that eventually took off one of them, Cedric Gray. Um, so, you know, again, I'm, I'm clearly not, as good of a talent evaluator. That's not what I'm trying to say. But just from looking at this defensive line group and what I know about them, I find it hard to believe that every single one of these guys that came in as a four, five-star recruit, some of these guys, I find it hard to believe that all of these guys just simply were not good players. And I think, you know, as much, we've been very hard on Tim Cross, but I think we're moving on from that now Ted Monachino is a guy that has done it for so long at the NFL level. He had a lot of success doing it at the college level as well. I think he's a guy that can really help this group. And, you know, one of the things that I really liked hearing from both coaches was the fact that there are going to be more, more stunts. Um, there's going to be different things that are going to be incorporated into what Carolina is going to do. Because the last few years, and part of this is the scheme that Gene Chizik ran as a defensive coordinator. The other part of this is, you know, what what we've seen from, uh, you know, Tim Cross and and his group. But a lot of the stuff that we saw the last few years were really just trying to win straight line, one-on-one matchups. No stunts, no twists, nothing fancy. Not a lot of, you know, th- not a lot of eye candy that sort of threw off the opponent. Not a lot of blitzes, which is not something that we should have ever really expected with Gene Chiswick's defenses, knowing it from the past. And if you just researched what he did uh, throughout his entire career as a defensive coordinator, was never really the most aggressive guy. That's completely different with this defensive scheme. And I think, you know, hopefully this year you're gonna see, much more aggression in that area, but especially when it comes to the defensive line and being able to do some of those things that they want to do up front. Um, you know, I, everything that I heard from Ted Monachino, I really liked, and I, I think you know one of the things that really stood out was I think there were some moments he he wasn't you know he, you could tell that he was trying not to say certain things. He didn't want to step over a boundary. He didn't want to throw anybody under the bus which you've got to appreciate. That's the way that we like to do things at Carolina, and nobody should be against doing that. Um, But you could tell that there were times that he brought certain things up and he he was basically pointing to the fact that that the previous staff really wasn't able to do certain things that he wants to do with this group. And so I think ultimately you're hoping that with him now taking over the room and being that solo voice in there that he will be able to bring out what this group needs because that's the that, that's the group that's the key. This is one of the main things that I heard from Jeff Collins that I really, really liked was that the focus is on the defensive line. That's the key to success. If the defensive line is not winning up front, then you're not going to be able to be a successful defensive unit. And we've been hammering that home really, I, I mean, since even Jay Bateman was here, that it's all on the defensive line. And look, the first year, I I like to say the first two years because I really thought in 2020 that defensive line had some really good moments. I thought there were some guys that stood out, and I thought injuries towards the end of the season were really what started to hurt that team. But one of the things that we've seen the last three years is that there is not consistent production from that group up front. And we've seen some guys leave that room. Like we went back, you know, I, I, one guy that to me, I go back and really regret, you know, the way that I, uh, you know, underappreciated him in his time on campus was Tamon Fox. Uh, I thought he was a guy that could have shown a little more consistency. I thought he was a guy that was sort of hit and miss, but boy, this team could have really used him the last two years. This defensive line has been rough uh, outside of Cayman Rucker, who I think has been, uh, outstanding, especially this year. Uh, And this was his first year where he really played a full-time snaps. Now, the thing is, is that they got to find the balance because they played him full-time snaps, but they ran the man into the ground. He was great at the start of the year, but towards the end of the year, he was just worn out. And, you know, that was another thing that I heard from Jeff Collins that I really liked is that there needs to be more rotation. It's something that we pointed out here on the podcast. We said, look, guys are getting worn out towards the end of the year. And for some reason, the defensive staff never really had that hindsight. We knew that even going into the season that, hey, at some point you got to start to rotate guys. And the fact that they played as many guys as they did for the significant amount of reps. I mean, we saw it. The linebackers playing just a, a ton, a ton of reps. They have been doing that for the last few years, Cedric Gray and Power Eccles. And I get it. You know, it's, it's, it's the great debate of the drop-off of, you know, the, the guys that are on the field tired to the guys that are behind them. And part of that is you have to use these guys, especially earlier in the season, when you play some of your lesser opponents. Carolina hasn't done that now. They were in some close games early in the season, games where they could have gotten guys in. Uh, to play more significant reps like App State, uh, Minnesota, even though Minnesota was a power five team, those were games where you probably could have gotten guys into the games if you would have put your opponents away earlier. You didn't. You were in close matchups heading into you know the fourth quarter, and it meant that you had to keep your starters on the field. But as the season wore along, you really started to see it set in. So I love the mindset that Jeff Collins had. He said, look, we're going to sit each position coach down. Each position coach each week is going to have to have a plan for me. And they're going to say, look, these are the guys that we plan to play in the game. may not go according to that plan. There may be certain circumstances that mean you have to play guys more, but there is going to be a plan going into games to play guys a certain amount. And I would assume that means that if he doesn't like the plan, if he thinks, hey, this is still not enough. We need more rotation because we're trying to keep guys fresh, especially as the season goes along. He may say, look, I watched so-and-so. I watched Cayman Rucker the last game. Ruck's starting to wear down. We need to start rotating some other guys in. Who's available that we can use? Do you like Bo Atkinson there? Is he a guy that's starting to show you some things? Is Malachi Hamrick back off the injury? Has he you know put on the body weight? Is he ready to go? Can he give us some reps out there? Those are the things that you're hopefully going to see moving forward that we haven't been able to see over the last couple of years. And look, it's at all three levels. I mean, you had a guy in, in Marcus Allen who played nearly every defensive snap, uh, an edge rusher in Cayman Rucker who played nearly every defensive snap, and two linebackers who played nearly every defensive snap. So, every single level, Carolina can get better with how they rotate guys. And it'll be interesting to see how much. Jeff Collins is able to change that up. Now, one of the other things that Jeff Collins talked about that I think a lot of Tario fans are probably going to notice immediately is the aggression level. We've heard it from a lot of different people. He's a very aggressive guy. Now, part of that is that there are going to be some risk taken. So with Gene Chizik, one of the main things that we heard from Gene Chizik was, look, he wants to, you know, eliminate the explosives. That was one of the things that he was concerned about. We heard that a lot, even in his first stint here, and really saw it a lot also in his first stint in Chapel Hill. But I really think what you're now seeing from Carolina, or you're hoping to see now, and what you're hearing from some of the other people that have covered Jeff Collins in the past, is that this is a more aggressive mindset. It's not about keeping everything in front of you. Clearly, you don't want to get beat over the top, But this isn't going to be the conservative defense that's going to give you a lot of short passes, that's going to just hand you the yards that we've seen Carolina do over the past few years. One of the things, you know, Jeff Collins sort of, you know, went in and and started talking about, uh, you know, the cornerstone pieces of, of his defense. But to me, I think the real thing that stuck out the most to me was when he started talking about four things that he realized from watching tape this year on the defensive side of the football had the year off. He said, one of the things that he did this year was go through and watch a lot of film on all different defenses. When Carolina, the opportunity popped up really started studying Carolina, but I think this allowed him to get an interesting perspective with what he was able to do this all throughout this season, which was sit back and go through all different types of defenses throughout the country. And he said, he said, there's four things. Number one, being strong up the middle. Carolina really hasn't been that strong up the middle since Aaron Crawford and Jason Strobridge departed. Um, you know, Rayo Osic had his moments, but you know Carolina's got the talent there, as I said earlier. It just doesn't seem like they've had the physicality inside, and they haven't done the things that they need to do stunt-wise to try to keep offensive lines off balance and it's allowed teams to get comfortable against them and really push them around. Number two, set the edges. Carolina has not done a great job of that, uh, especially here in recent years. The edge rushers have just not done a great job of being able to contain. Uh, you even go back to some of the Jay Bateman defenses and that was really the big issue with them when they weren't able to stop the run. Teams are able to run on the edges against Carolina because these are guys that are either aggressive trying to get upfield or or they simply just get washed out because they're not strong enough, they're undersized, um, or they're just in the wrong position. So that's an area that has to get ironed out. That's probably the most difficult one that Carolina is going to have time sort of adjusting to. The third principle, and this is something that they've really failed to do since you know early in the Larry Fedora era, and to be honest with you, probably since Butch Davis, and it's not allow the easy access throws. And I, I just talked about this a second ago about Gene Chizik saying, we want to keep everything in front of us, limit the, exp- the explosives. Well, when he says that the problem is, is that while you're limiting the explosives, you're also giving up some really easy plays in front of you. And look to some people, and especially if you're a very good tackling team, it's not a big deal. Carolina has not been the greatest tackling team and we've seen it in certain games. I mean, teams that really stick out to me. And you remember a few years ago, Carolina wins a game uh, against Virginia where they allow over 500 yards to Brennan Armstrong and the Cavaliers offense. Uh, There's a, you know, back-to-back years Carolina's allowed a ton of passing yards to Tyler Van Dyke, who is now gone um, headed to Wisconsin, but allows a ton of yards to him and Miami and Carolina has to find a way to win the game by simply just outscoring them. This is going to be a different mindset it feels like with Jeff Collins, he's going to want to prevent those things. And look, if you're going to if you're going to beat us, then you do have to beat us over the top. We're going to trust our corners, we're going to trust our safeties. That may be risky, but at the same time, we can't keep giving you yards and allowing you to drive us down the field and eventually wear out our defense, which we've seen so many times with just how long teams are able to possess the ball. The final principle is being able to affect the quarterback. And that's something that really goes back again to the defensive line, to the way that Carolina blitzes. This is something that Carolina can control. And the last couple of years, it's felt like Carolina's almost gotten to the point in their own minds where they feel like they can't control that. Unless you're playing an offensive line that is just that bad, a la South Carolina in the season opener, you're not able to get pressure on the quarterback. And here's the thing: when Carolina has been able to get pressure on the quarterback, it has been night and day. We've seen it intermittently at times throughout Mac Brown's tenure. And when it's hit, it's hit really well. And Carolina they, they've they've held opponents in check, especially late in games when they've been able to get after the quarterback but it just doesn't happen enough. It's something that Carolina has to be able to do. Uh, Mac Brown, in terms of what he said uh, in, in his press conference, I mean, look, a lot of stuff about NIL, and I know there were definitely some people uh, that were you know, telling me when, when they officially kicked off uh, their campaign the other day, which, by the way, Tar Heel Nation, you guys have done a tremendous job. I know there are people that are watching this podcast. I know there's people that are listening to it. Uh, people that will watch it back uh, later on that are, you know, contributors to that NIL collective Heals for Life. Um, guys, you know, the program cannot thank you enough. And look, I, I, I hate it. I hate that this is where we're at. And I hate that it seems like people like me, um, other fans, Mac Brown is really pressing you for NIL money. But this is the thing. This is the most important thing at this point that you really have to donate to. Um, I know that the Rams club is important. That's a huge thing. And if you can still donate, then I suggest to, but I got to be honest at this point, the NIL collective is probably the most important thing that you can do because in order to get the type of players that you want in your program, you have to be able to give them some money. This is the unfortunate area that we're in right now, just because there are not restrictions. Look, I am not against Carolina Uh, And the student athletes being able to make money. I frankly agree with what Mac Brown said in his press conference the other day. Probably the most interesting thing that he said the other day, which was just get to a point where the university is paying these guys, where there is a cap. I think that's the point that you have to get to. I know in a lot of people's minds that ruins amateurism, but let's be real honest. Are they really amateurs at this point? They're still getting paid money, it's coming from a different area. There are definitely probably some things going on behind the scenes that people don't know about. There's no way all this money is being raised at some of these schools, but at the same time, there's no way to police this. The NCAA is really caught that they've been caught with their pants down. Nobody's afraid of them at this point. So really anything that they do, they tried to sort of flex their muscle against Florida state, which was rather interesting and probably is a result of something else that happened recently, but Um, Other than that, they really haven't been able to be that aggressive when it's come to going after NIL violations. So for Carolina, I mean, look, you lost a player this year, one of your best players, one of the guys that you really felt like could be a big time contributor for you in a unit that you really needed to have some stable pieces at on the offensive line. You lost Diego Pounds this offseason to Ole Miss because of nil money so this is important that carolina gets the nil collective going so to all those fans that have donated to those fans that will eventually donate we really appreciate that um i sound like i'm a member of the university but for me as a fan of this team as someone that wants to see this team so badly win games and get over the top it it, it's Great to see Tario fans rallying around this. And already, I mean, this is a month-long campaign to raise a million dollars for Carolina uh for Carolina's NIL collective. Um this is already within a week, really within I think it's about th- three or four days. My math isn't great. I think it's three days right now. It's Thursday. I'm I'm kind of all over the place. Uh Carolina's already, you know, seen. $250,000 worth of donations roll in. So they're already halfway to that goal. Um, that's amazing because I think a lot of people, if you would have asked them, honestly, do you think it will that, that Carolina will be able to get to that point by three days? People would say you're crazy. So what a great job. It shows that there is commitment to football. And that's what the university needs to see because moving forward, if Carolina is going to compete, they have to be able to get this money rolled in. Um, you know some of the other things that Mac Brown really talked about. Uh, one of the things that I, I thought was very interesting, going back to Jeff Collins, was uh, the coaches on the staff really pushed for Jeff Collins. Um, He said Mac said there were two six-hour. Now this is I, I I believe that's what he said. I may have heard the audio wrong, but I believe six-hour interviews with Jeff Collins, um, which is insane. But Jeff Collins was apparently ready. As I said, he had studied these guys. He knew exactly what he was talking about. And a lot of people were very impressed with them. They loved the fiery, aggressive style. Um, and, And Max said that the guys sort of came to him and said, look, coach, this is what we need. And for them collectively as a staff to go to him and say that, I think is really telling. And I think it shows you that, he is probably going to be the polar opposite of Gene Chizik, a guy that's aggressive, a guy that wants to go after it, and it's really what this university needs at this point. Because, look, these guys know. They, they've heard the monikers from people, and we've said it here before, and until it's proven, it, it, it's hard not to think this. Mac Brown pushed back on it, but let's be honest. It's hard not to think that this is a program right now that under Mac Brown and even really under Larry Fedora is a relatively soft program. They've been pushed around at times. Um, People have said it's a culture problem, but it's really just about Carolina lacking the toughness at times to be able to one, overcome problems and just the general toughness that you see on the field is especially in areas like the trenches and on the defensive side of the football. So for Carolina, To get a guy like this that's so revered that the staff is really pushing for, I think there is reason to be encouraged. Now, speaking of the soft culture that we've heard, somebody asked this question. I believe it was Adam Smith of Inside Carolina that asked this question the other day. Um, And Matt Brown really pushed back on it and said, look, those people are not inside our program. They don't know what the culture of our program is. And that's fine. I get it. You, you, he said, "Look, they don't know as much about football as we do." And, and I like the fact that Mac Brown is standing up for his guys. Clearly, I do not know as much football as Mac Brown and his staff does—not even close. I'm not trying to act like I do, but I feel like from watching for as many years as I have, cover, you know, writing about this team day in and day out, um, and really covering college football in general, um, and just watching a lot of other games. There are certain things that you can pick up from Carolina. There are moments where it seems like Carolina sort of quits as they get later on in the season when things go the wrong way. And I think, you know, part of that is a mindset. But look, there's there's things that Carolina, I think, can do in the offseason as well. Mainly, the thing that I'm focused on is how they get pushed around by some of the more physical teams, like Clemson, like NC State, like we saw at the end of the year. Um, like we've seen at times, even with teams like Georgia Tech last year, um, back in 2022, that sort of derailed Carolina season. Those are the things that I want to avoid moving forward. And Mac Brown said, look, we are changing some things about our offseason program. Uh, one of the things that he said, this is was a quote from him the other day, he said, quote, we're going to go back and do more of the county fair grass drills that we were doing in the first two years we were here We got away from those some in COVID. We're going to move spring practice back a week as well so that we have time for the off-season program. So this is clearly something that is a focal point of Mac Brown and his staff. I like the fact that they're going back to doing some of the things that they did in their first two years. Uh, Honestly, makes you really question why Carolina didn't go back to that quicker, sort of similar to the question of how did NIL – and this push for Heels for Life not happen a little bit earlier. But look, I I digress. Now we're here. Time to make those adjustments now. At least we've realized it at this point. But I, I think ultimately, you know, if Carolina can get back to doing some of those things that they did in the first two years, you would feel pretty hopeful that Carolina is going to be able to have a pretty good amount of success. Well, let's talk about, you know, some of the other things going on. Uh, really, you know, as I said, really impressed with the interviews and, and everything that we heard, uh, the press conferences that were rather that we heard from those guys. Uh, but let's talk about some of the stuff that's going on in terms of Carolina bringing in some new members of their offensive line. And we'll start with the transfer. Carolina gets a division three transfer um, that comes in. Along the offensive line, Zach Greenberg comes from uh, Mo, from Mullenberg College in Allentown, PA. Um, three seasons with Mullenberg. I uh, was a two-time All-Region and All-Conference honoree. The one year that he wasn't, he did get injured. That was back in 2022. Missed the majority of the season. Uh, so that's the only reason that he is probably not a three-time member. Uh, we earned first-team honors uh, in both respects this year. Uh, for an offensive line that allowed just eight sacks all season and paved the way for one of the more successful offenses in Division III. They ran for uh, 176 yards per game this season and had 444.1 yards of total offense. Um, Again, this is one, and if you guys read the article, and if you haven't, I encourage you to go over to HeelToughBlog.com. Go ahead and check out that article. This is one of those pickups that is a complete shot in the dark. And I think there's a couple of ways to look at this. One, Carolina is very desperate for help along the offensive line. Um to me, this is an addition that look, brings some depth. They expect that he's going to kick inside to guard, so great. Um it's it's one of those guys that look, he could come out and be great. Maybe he is a guy that was really just being slept on and no one was really looking at him and all of a sudden he's going to have the extra motivation and he's going to take off there is a certain you know the thing to be said um you know about the fact that he's going to be a guy coming from a small college he'll probably be very blessed to wear a Tar Heel uniform that could go a long way in terms of motivation for a guy to step on the field as opposed to, you know, someone that comes to Carolina at a high school like we've seen with some of these guys that had a ton of Division One offers, chose Carolina, and really probably feels like if I want to, I can pretty much go just about anywhere else. Um, so we'll we'll see what that motivation factor could do for him. But this is asking a lot uh, of a guy to go from Division Three. I mean, we've seen it, you know, even Spencer Rollins, Going from the FCS level in the Ivy League and making the step up to the uh to, to the FBS level and the power five level. Now you got a guy going from division three up two divisions, not even into the FCS, into the FBS, and not even into just the FBS, into the power five. So for me, this is asking a lot. And Again, this goes into the strategy that Carolina has taken in this transfer portal along the offensive line. i got to be honest, I've almost been shocked by it. And maybe the NIL collective is really just that bad for this year. And that's where it really does leave me scratching my head that this was not something that Carolina was able to get on board with earlier. I think part of it, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but I think just from listening to his comments over and over again, part of it was probably stubbornness on Mac Brown's part. But Carolina has to find a way to get this offensive line better before the season starts. I don't know how many scholarships that Carolina has available. I haven't really done the math lately. Um, I haven't seen anybody that's done the math uh, either. Um, But I would imagine that Carolina's got to be getting close on scholarships. They brought in 27 guys. Out of the high school ranks, uh, in the early signing class, they've already got now six guys uh, that are committed uh, and will be there early uh, out of the transfer portal. And this is their seventh guy. So, Carolina's starting to, you know, take away a lot of scholarships uh, that they were able to gain from the guys that entered the transfer portal and the guys that graduated. Probably aren't many left, but I got to tell you. I know Carolina, one of the things that Mac Brown did say in his presser that I forgot to bring up when I was recapping it was that uh, they do want to go out and get someone on the offensive line and the defensive line. Now, when he made these comments, this was before Greenberg had committed. So hopefully this does not mean that Greenberg was their guy on the offensive line and now they feel like they're good. But I got to be honest, even the defensive line – I know they want to get some new blood in there. I'd love it. But I got to be honest, I think I'd rather them just focus on the offensive line because you still, at this point, have two guys at guard. I mean, if they took the field today, they're starting guards more than likely, as I think it's constructed, because I think, um, Austin, uh, Blasque, um, I, I think I'm pronouncing his name wrong, and I apologize. I will definitely get it right as we get um, closer to the season. I just forgot. I, I blanked and, and meant to look up again how to pronounce his name. Uh, uh, Max said it again the other day, and and I, for some reason it's slipping my mind. But I believe that he is going to uh, Austin Blasky. That's how you say it. Um, he is going to play offensive tackle. Uh, that means that you know Carolina, you know, will more than likely. Uh, you know, with Diego Pounds leaving, uh, they they you know are gonna have to probably elevate Travion Green there. Uh, Travion Green, the biggest thing for him is he's just got to stay healthy. Everything that we've heard about him, I've really liked, so I'm not too concerned about that. Willie Lampkin probably moving over to center, not concerned about that either. The two guard spots as of today would be Zach Rice, who five star coming out of high school. Look, if he puts together a great offseason, there is plenty of reason, and I will be on board with believing in him going into the season. But he's a guy that had to make the move from offensive tackle coming out of high school, left tackle, moves inside to left guard, has had injury issues. Things have just really not materialized for him so far. So a lot on his plate if he's going to take a step forward this year. And then the other guy is Jonathan Adorno. And, again, not really trying to beat up a guy, especially one that's been in the program as long as Adorno has. He's had opportunities to transfer, and he stuck it out. But he's a guy that we've seen him. He's not a guy that is really that sound down there. He's not a guy that is consistent enough, I think, to play at one of those guard spots. And, again, maybe he takes a leap this offseason, like I said with Rice open to it but I think Carolina needs a veteran guy on the interior of that offensive line to me there's options I have an article I've been kind of pushing it off because there's been so much news but I've got an article that I'm going to put up here probably tomorrow um, that is going to lay out some of the options that I think Carolina can go after and again these are realistic options I did not even include a couple of the guys that have entered the portal out of Alabama. Like Caden Proctor, guys, he's not coming to Carolina. I hate to say that. I mean, I'd love to have him. Uh, He was as good as any freshman offensive tackle that I've seen uh, in college football in a long time. There is a 0% chance he is landing at Carolina. Lance Hurd was a guy that uh, just rumored today, transferred out of LSU, rumored that he's going to be going to Tennessee. He was a guy that I thought about putting on the list, but Frankly, it's not even worth it. Carolina just does not have the NIL money to compete for guys like that. So some of the guys that have left uh, Alabama, Washington, those are guys that are not on the list. But there's realistic guys that at this point haven't really gotten any buzz. Some of the guys have been in the portal for a little bit. And as long as they qualify academically, Carolina should be going after these guys, no questions asked. So keep an eye out for that article because that's really an important area that I think Carolina has to address. Now, in terms of the future, Carolina did land a big guy on the 2025 trail along the offensive line. 2025 four-star offensive tackle Alex Payne announced his commitment to Carolina yesterday morning over Florida State, South Carolina, and Duke, amongst others. Uh, really a, a guy that you know Carolina, I think, had a really good in with because of their relationship that they had with Zion Ferguson and Gainesville High School, which is where he played. Carolina was there often. Zion Ferguson was a guy that was very vocal, trying to help recruit Carolina's recruiting class once he jumped in. And I think that Payne saw that and saw Carolina was on campus very often and became a really, really important target for Carolina along the way. Guys, he's the new headliner in this class. He's the number 293 overall player. Um, so a guy that's ranked inside the top 300, that's about as blue chip as it gets. Remember me and Zach Hubbard, um, you know, the recruiting analyst uh, on the podcast. We've we told you before that five uh, top 500 is guys that we look at and label as blue chip. Some of the other sites probably don't do that. A lot of sites really just look at the top 300 guys or, whatever their top, you know, for 24-7 is top two four seven. We look at it as if you are inside the top 500 of, uh, of about 2,000 uh, high school re- recruits, you're a guy that's pretty elite, and he fits that mold. Um, look, the, the thing that I noticed most about him, 6'5", 265, slim frame, but when I watched him, very physical. Um, especially in the run game, like all the, the things that I, I see, um, because yeah, the physicality is there. So is the technical ability. His footwork is very, very clean for a junior in high school, uh, no false steps, a guy that moves his feet very well laterally. Um, and, and I think that's something that you really have to see, uh, especially against quicker edge rushers. But I loved everything about it, and the hand placement was fantastic. It allows him to really control and drive guys, especially in pass protection, which is what you want to see. Um, I, I just, to me, the thing is for him, he's going to have to add to his frame. Um, if he doesn't, it's going to take him a little bit of time before he can contribute at Carolina because that is a really small size. I mean, to be, it's shocking. I mean, guys, we we've seen Carolina recruit um, in the last few recruiting classes. The smallest we've seen him is about 275-280. Uh, this is a guy that's, you know, in the range of some of the guys that we've seen Carolina recruit a defensive end that have had to put on some pretty significant weight. So for Carolina, I think this is uh, it's crucial for them to get him in, get him in the nutrition program, and get some weight on him. Look. He's only a junior in high school, just finished up his junior year. He's going to have a year to put on some weight in high school before he will eventually be able to get into the college nutrition program. So, again, offensive lineman, unless you've got a guy that is a five-star, can't miss, it's really hard to imagine that guys are going to make a huge impact as a freshman along the offensive line. It's happened before. It's not unheard of. But – There is a learning curve. There is, you know, for for them, they are the group that has to put on the most weight when they get to campus because it's different playing at the high school level, especially when you play in certain classifications than it is when you get to the college level. I, I think he's a guy, though, that if they can get him on campus, especially if they get him as an early enrollee, which, you know, would be great. You get him in there, I think Carolina could really turn him into something pretty quick because everything that you want to see from him is there on tape. So, uh, I, you know, I really like that pickup. I think it's a great job done by Randy Clements. It's another guy out of the state of Georgia, which Carolina, and look, they hit it hard in this last class. I think they're going to hit it hard even harder in this class. Now, the thing is, is that Carolina can't hit it too hard this class. In North Carolina is absolutely loaded. Some of the best players in the country coming out of this state in this upcoming class. So Carolina's got to take care of the home state. It's going to be more difficult than it's been in the past because NC State, a lot of buzz around that program coming into the year. That that means that they're going to benefit from that because this 2025 class will pretty much be locked in before they take the field. So NC State right now Is the hotter commodity and they deserve to be the way that they finished the last two years as as opposed to the way that Carolina has finished. It makes a lot of sense. But you look at the way Carolina has gotten out of the gates in this class, Carolina's off to a pretty good start. Number 13 overall in the 24 7 sports composite team rankings. And again, it is super early. And this is how you know it's super early. Four of those teams come from the ACC. So you would imagine that eventually, The expanded SEC, the expanded Big Ten, they're going to have a lot of teams up towards the top like they did in this last recruiting class. But Carolina, this is a better start than they had even last year. You're starting to see them roll in some pretty decent talent out of the state of Georgia. Now, if they can couple it with the guys from in-state, it would really go a long way. Last thing before we get out of here, guys, did want to Uh, read off the list of guys that will be going to the NFL draft or attempting to get drafted uh, into the NFL draft this year. Now, some of these guys have a lot of work to do. Now, there's obvious guys, especially the guys that declared early. Drake May, we know he's a guy right now. A lot of mock drafts that have him going number two overall, which would frankly just be a complete nightmare for me. Because if he does, that would mean that my three favorite players uh, that I've watched since I, you know, was a, a Carolina fan even when I was younger, I mean, there were some guys I really loved, but Ryan Switzer was my favorite player for a while, and went to Sam Howell, especially from being able to cover him from high school, uh, you know, at, in his freshman year all the way up to his time at Carolina, and now even into the NFL, and then Drake May would all go in the division of my favorite team, and they would none of them would go to my favorite team. Um, Now, hopefully, kind of hoping that the Giants may get a little aggressive. Sorry about that. Uh, The Giants may get a little aggressive and potentially trade up. Boy, would I love that. But uh, not really holding my breath there. Um, And still a little bit cautious with what we've seen with Bryce Young about being that aggressive. But um, I I think there's a possibility that he goes to Washington. Um, I do think there's still a possibility that he could end up in Chicago. Although I will say this, uh, Chicago... Apparently interviewing Killif uh, Kingsbury, who's his quarterback's coach, at, or who's Caleb Williams' quarterback coach, uh, that is, at USC, would make a lot of sense if they end up hiring him that they want to tie those two together, meaning that Drake would probably fall to Washington or potentially to New England. Either way, I don't see him getting outside of really the top three, but especially not the top five. I think someone will end up taking him there. Um, the other guys that I think are surefire draft guys, no question. Tez Walker is going to go. I've seen him as high as second round. Uh, I think he's a guy that probably is somewhere in that day two range. I think there will be some people that will be a little concerned um, by what they saw from him, especially in, in that bowl game. Um, you know, some of the some of the routes that he ran were, weren't exactly the greatest. Rounded off some stuff. Um, so I think there will be some questions about that. And there's a lot of talent in this wide receiver class. So I could see him being a guy that probably ends up towards the end of day two, even if he slips into early day three, I think as long as he ends up in the right scenario, like what we saw with Josh Downs, he'll be perfectly fine. But I, I think surefire drafted guy, Cedric Gray, no question, he'll be drafted way too versatile too good of a tackler. He'll be a guy that will probably again, be in that same range that Tez Walker will be. I see late day two on him Uh, maybe early day three. I think really somebody has got to, I'm not going to say fall in love because I think there might be somebody, uh, there might be a few teams that are, you know, looking at him towards the end of that third round, but I wouldn't be shocked if he slips into that fourth round um, just because of, you know, a little bit of a smaller frame. So, I wouldn't be shocked if he's there, but uh, still a guy that to me, no questions asked, will be drafted. Uh, And then I would say he probably gets drafted. This one's a little more borderline. Uh, Miles Murphy, I think someone will take a chance on him just because of the body size. Uh, You know what he was coming out of high school that that does pay dividends for guys at times when it comes to them getting drafted teams will look and say well there was clearly something that people saw from him in high school, maybe he wasn't just developed right we could be able to do that. So I think somebody will probably take a flyer on him probably late in day three, Uh, at the least, he will definitely be an undrafted free agent that will catch on somewhere. Um, So I, I think he's a guy that Carolina fans can probably feel pretty good about if you're watching that third day of the draft. Now you get to that group of guys that you know teams probably will end up taking a chance on, um, but it's not exactly a guarantee. Now, Corey Gaynor, I think, is about as safe as it gets. I'd be pretty shocked if he gets drafted. I just don't think there was enough there. He's also an older prospect. Remember that he was a guy that played – Uh, for uh, uh, four years at Miami before coming to Carolina and playing two years. So he'll be one of the older guys along the offensive line. I think he'll get an invite, but he'll probably be a guy that'll have to fight his way onto a roster during uh, the season. Spencer Rollins, an interesting guy because coming into the year, there was actually draft stock for him as the year went along. I really do think it it dropped off because he didn't have a great year. Last year was really rough for him. So to me, it was honestly head scratching that he was even on some of those draft boards. But a lot of people like the athleticism that he brings to the table this year, again, not great. They were hoping to see him take a step forward, especially now that he was sort of focused a little bit more on football as opposed to his first year getting acclimated to grad classes, especially the type of grad classes that he was taking as a law student. Um, But, you know, he's a guy that never really acclimated that well to the power five game. So asking him to acclimate well to the NFL game is going to be asking a lot, but someone still may have seen something along the way that they're wanting to sort of take a flyer on. And then there's really two other guys that I put in this category. Drew Little's in there because, frankly, I don't really know a whole lot about long snappers uh, in order to sort of grade him as a guy that's that's not in there. The thing I know is that at Carolina, he was there for five years. Uh, he was very consistent. He was a guy that was aggressive getting down the field. He did you know, have more missed tackles than he had uh, tackles. So maybe that's something that could factor in. But there are some things that I think people will really like about him. I think someone could take a chance on him to at least come in and compete in camp with one of their veteran long snappers. Maybe he doesn't make the roster, but he could be a guy that could factor in uh, in one of the spring leagues, or could be a guy that, if there is an injury along the way, eventually would crack his way into the league. And Amari Gaynor. The thing about Amari Gaynor was another guy that was really talented coming out of high school. And the versatility is is something that teams, would probably be really attracted to. A guy that played edge at Carolina, did so early in his career at Florida State as well, and also played linebacker. So uh, not the most decorated college career by any stretch. A guy that you know didn't even get a starting job this year at Carolina. But I think that there might be a team that looks at him, says, hey, we can figure out the way to use him and unlock something and potentially gives him a tryout in camp. Um, I I would be pretty shocked if he's not a part of a 90 man, uh, in the summer. Now, some of the other guys on this uh, list, including the most recent guy, uh, this is the group of guys that I really think, um, you know, they're, they've, they've submitted their names. They're going to make a push, but I think it, it has to, they have to just absolutely blow a team away for them to even make it to an NFL camp. And that's William Barnes. Ed Montalis and Tamari Fox. Um, the thing with Tamari Fox, now he's probably the closest to jumping up into that next group, but, I mean, he was a guy that was never, you know, a full-time starter again at Carolina after his first year in Chapel Hill. Um, you know, he, he, he had some moments. I think he was on and off as a starter, um, you know, in his second year. But especially after the suspension, I mean, this year, I mean, he looked okay but really wasn't super productive for Carolina Um, the year before his suspension, even in 2021, it just was not his most productive year uh, by any stretch. So I think there's a lot of things that you got to look at with him. But I mean, look, if you want to make the argument that he's on that borderline of guys that people could take a risk on, I could maybe take that. But I think he's probably a guy that really needs to do a lot of work to get there. Ed Montelis and William Barnes; these are guys that struggled mightily at the college level at the guard spots. There's really nowhere else for them to go. They're going to have to stay at the guard spots. I know we've seen, you know, guys like Joshua Zudu, Marcus McKeithen, who the New York Giants took a risk on. Part of that is that, as a Giants fan, I know they are very, very desperate for offensive line help. So that again, talk about taking shots in the dark. That was pretty much what Carol uh, what. The Giants were doing there, but I, I think, you know, that for those two guys, I mean, they struggled in run blocking. Uh, Montelis was was definitely the better of the two this year. I mean, William Barnes got benched multiple times this year, so for him to go to the next level, I mean, it's going to be incredibly tough. And you know, in terms of Montelis, he's a guy that had. Uh, really bad problems in pass protection for the majority of his time there. Again, this year was a little bit better for him, but I still don't think it's going to be enough. And for William Barnes, I mean, look, his career, he just never was able to get it on track. And I got to be honest, I think he finished his career with the worst year of his career. So for him to get there, I mean, this would have to just be a team that just really loved the fact that he was a borderline five-star coming out of high school completely ignores everything that he did in his college career, crosses their fingers and prays he's a guy that can come in and just be serviceable enough to even hold it down in preseason. Um, For those guys, and for a lot of these guys, more than likely you'll see some of these guys end up, uh, whether it's the CFL, um, whether it's the spring leagues that I mentioned earlier, the USFL, Um, combining with the XFL to now uh, make the UFL. That could be where some of these guys end up. So, I mean, look, there are chances for these guys to be able to play professionally, but it's going to take a lot for some of those guys eventually to get up there. So, um, look, that's going to wrap it up, guys, for this edition of the podcast. I did get this update uh, just a little bit ago here from our guy Chris Bivens. Uh, UNC women's basketball with the 73 to 68 win. Uh, so congratulations to the UNC women. That's outstanding. Huge win for them over Georgia Tech as they continue to roll in conference play. Guys, I'm seeing that the internet connection is not as great as it was at the start. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and dip out of here. Uh Hopefully uh, the audio is uh, pretty solid for you guys. Uh, I know I've been rolling for a little while here, but uh, we really appreciate you guys for uh, joining me on this edition of the podcast. Make sure you head over to the website, Uh Plenty of stuff up there for you guys to check out on the football side of things. As I mentioned, uh, Carolina did land two guys, one out of the transfer portal. And, uh, you know, we got an article up there that sort of describes a little bit of Zach Greenberg. Uh, that'll be really great for you guys to check out. Um, because there isn't a whole lot that's known about him. That article gives you a little bit more background information. Alex Payne, full breakdown of him as well. Definitely exciting one to read. So go ahead and check that out. Uh, I mentioned that the the, uh, uh, offensive line article, guys, that I think Carolina should be targeting uh, in the transfer portal along the offensive line. That's going up tomorrow for you guys. We got uh, Jeff Collins, press conference takeaways uh, that I'm going to be putting up tonight. Also, uh, we got Mac Brown's press conference takeaways. That's up. Uh, I didn't get to, you know, everything that they said in their press conferences or else we could have been here for even longer. Um, so uh, I, I think that's, those are great articles uh, to go back and check out and read everything that your head coach and your new defensive coordinator are saying, um, you know, coming up, I, I know, uh, you know, we're kind of entering into, you know, an even quieter portion of the off season here with uh, things starting to die down a little bit in the transfer portal, but we're going to keep you up to date on everything that is going on with Tar Heel football. And of course, at the same time, the website will be buzzing with everything going on with Carolina basketball. What a season they are having so far 14 and three six and zero in conference. Uh, wasn't the cleanest game that they played last night against Louisville, but man, this is a team that uh, is feeling pretty special and uh, it's definitely a team we're excited to cover. So Josh has he covered on the blog side of things. Meanwhile, over on the Four Corners podcast, it's me and him breaking down every single game. We're recapping every single game, previewing every single game. So you don't want to miss any of those editions of the podcast. You can find that podcast the same places that you can find the Heel Tough blog podcast. If you're a listener, to search it. And when you're there, subscribe to both podcasts so that you don't miss any additions moving forward. Also, uh, make sure that you check out the video editions of the podcast. We've got the video editions rolling here on foot on the football side of things. We've been doing it all year. You guys have loved it. We had a moment where we went out. Now the internet connection is is better in the house. I know it's probably not the greatest, but still, really appreciate you guys uh, sitting through that and, and uh, enjoying these podcasts. Now that we're back, uh, and then. Uh, the basketball, we're starting to do those on the weekend. So live editions, you'll see me and Josh on there uh, whenever Carolina plays weekend games. So make sure that you're checking all of that out. Uh, that Those can be found on the Heel Top blog Facebook page, YouTube page, and, of course, the Twitter page where you guys are watching these tonight. So that's, uh, once again, going to wrap it up for this edition of the podcast. I want to thank you guys for watching and listening. And as always go to